Today's episode is made possible with support from Bremer Bank. Work with a banker who understands your business goals and how a strong banking relationship will help you achieve them. Work with Bremer Bank. Put Bremer to work for you today at bremer.com. The system, we call it the healthcare system. I always tell people it's the illness burden treatment system. And if we actually called it the illness burden treatment system, we would actually think about it very differently. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. I don't know of any American who would say they love health insurance. If you're lucky, your employer offers a good plan with reasonable rates. It covers the doctors you want to see and the procedures you need. But for many of us, it feels like with every passing year, we pay more, we get less. Claims are confusing. Understanding what's covered is perplexing. And how our fraught system ever gets to a better place, it feels overwhelming. Tony Miller has spent most of his career thinking about these problems. He started at United Health Group in the Twin Cities and then spent some time on the consulting side of managed care before co-founding Definity Health, which set a new standard in consumer-driven health benefits programs. It was acquired by United Health Group in 2004. Before too long, he was at it again with Bind Benefits, a pioneer in personalized health plans, which again was acquired by United Health Group. Last year, Bind was renamed Surest. Tony is no longer involved, but his impact on the industry is far-reaching, as the plan, which aims to offer a more personalized health experience, expands around the country and sets an example for other benefits providers. Of course, Tony didn't work alone. Early in his career, he connected with a group of Minnesota-based entrepreneurs, including Kyle Rolfing, Matt Scholl, John Park, and others who together and separately have been responsible for many advances in health insurance over the last two decades. Another member of their pack is Dave Dickey, a sales pro who has been out there since the Definity Health days, helping companies and individuals understand what Tony was trying to do. And that's where we start, with Dave meeting the team to launch their first breakthrough product. I, um, it's funny... I actually came to Minneapolis. I was not living in this city. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine that was a founder of Definity with Tony said, I know your wife's from Edina, so when you're up for Thanksgiving, I want you to come and check this thing out. And I walked in, and there were six guys. He was one of them. Mm-hmm. Four chairs. One was broken. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a phone in the middle and a data jack. What year was this? This was 99. This okay. was before wireless. And uh, that was the beginning of, of Definity Health. And I, I remember meeting that founding group, which I think is the PayPal equivalent in health benefits, mm. for sure. It's this group of people that have gone on to do great things. And uh, I was just smitten right away. But then I had to realize, oh my gosh, I'm going to go do something and they're not going to pay me. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, did you have to get there first to, to get one of the chairs? Is that how it went? Well, no, we'd play games to decide who got chairs. So, <laughs> um, and then eventually that we instituted a swear jar. Um, really? And if you contributed more than your allotment, you would lose your chair. So 
I ended up standing a lot. <laughs> I see. I see. <laughs> what was it specifically about the business of healthcare that appealed to you and drew you back? Because after you went and got your MBA, I mean, you could have gone into any kind of business. Why did you focus on healthcare? Um, you know, I think what was so interesting to me is it kind of combined a bunch of concepts. Like, so, like this, take this idea of financing, mm-hmm. right? And I didn't know finance until I got my MBA. And it was really intriguing to me to think about, like, how do you actually decide to finance something? Like, and like take mortgages, for example. Like, if you ask people, do they own their house? They think, I own my house. But then you ask them, do you have a mortgage? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, yeah, I have a mortgage. Well, really, the bank owns your house, right? right? And to me, it was like, oh, there's a way that we could actually start thinking about how do people own their own health? Hmm. And if we could actually figure out a financing mechanism where they believed they owned their own health and that they were then accountable for the outcomes of that health, like you could really change what the way we all perceive health care. Mm-hmm. And so that was really the intriguing part for me is the linking of kind of this financing idea to the all, all my under. And I had a master's because I hid out for two years on, in kinesiology where we, I learned all the health promotion stuff. Mm. And it was that linkage that was like, how do you combine those two things together? Because the system, we call it the healthcare system. And I always tell people it's the illness burden treatment system. And if we actually called it the illness burden treatment system, we would actually think about it very differently. Yeah. But we don't do that. So that's unfortunate. Yeah. So that's really what intrigued me. And that's why I was like, I was passionate about like, I'm going to go into healthcare because there's so many things to improve in healthcare. Did you, was there a moment earlier on where you thought you could make those improvements that you saw internally at, at a big company? Or did you know you were going to have to leave to go disrupt something? You know, it's so interesting because one of the, so after that project with the sisters, the next project I got put on was, because I had managed care background, there was a project that Deloitte had at Kaiser Permanente. And Kaiser Permanente was firing Deloitte. And so they said, well, let's send Tony out there. And I met with this woman named Robin Tomashauer, and she was the chief strategy officer of the Mid-Atlantic division for Kaiser. And then she basically, I sat down with her and she, she goes, you got one hour to convince me I'm not firing Deloitte. Mm-hmm. Her whole job was, is to figure out how does Kaiser expand outside of California? And so I gave her this song and dance about, here's this analytic methodology I think we should look at in terms of how you enter markets. Here's how I think we actually stand up clinical services and da 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 and after the hour, she says, you're hired. Hmm. And, but everybody else, and she literally pointed at all these other people that were, in, that were there from Deloitte and like, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired. And Tony's going to run this project. And I don't want a partner coming into this because in, into this I don't want the overhead of a partner. And I remember they pulled me aside and said, like, this has never happened, but we're going to give you the opportunity to like, go run this project. And it turned into a $6 million billings project for, for Deloitte. And that's actually where I met one of the other founders, John Park, and uh, you know, all the other folks that became part of really definity when that six person room that we talked about. Hmm. So when I got to Kaiser, what was so cool is it was the antithesis of United. So United was this idea of how do you let the open market actually, you know, deliver services to this financing structure of an insurance plan. Their whole structure was we got a closed system. That closed system is really driven clinically, not actuarially. And that's how we are going to organize and build healthcare. So I got to see the two ends of the spectrum, almost like the hmm. left version and the right version of healthcare. And I got to see that almost like simultaneously to each other. And really from that was some of the ideas where we started meeting. So really Craig Swanson and I were at Deloitte at the time. And Craig was one of the co-founders of, of what was Healthy Care, the progenitor of Definity. 
and we he really does should get some more he should get more credit than he does because he was the one that in the Deloitte team was like, hey, let's start meeting on weekends and evenings so that we can come up with a better business. And it was really that group that started thinking about like, how would we want to do this? And we all came back to, we got to change the financial product. Like if we could change the financial product, like we could change this whole thing. Hmm. And so that's really where we came up with this idea of the spending account, this idea of an annuity that people could have to self-fund their own healthcare over, you know, a 30-year arc instead of this annual idea of, I mean, problem is yeah. health is a continuous function. It's, right. it's not, and we may try to make it into this discrete, you know, annual concept. And it's like, that's the dumbest thing we could possibly do because the underlying good itself is this ever perpetuating, you know, set of very complex biological reality that we have to give people a much longer view of this is what it's going to take to live the life that you want to live. Mm-hmm. But isn't some of that tied up in, I mean, a lot of us obviously, you know, get our health insurance through our employers. That changes. I mean, you can't think of it like a third, you know, if you're moving well, so jobs. Here's the thing, though. But like, I'll tell you, when we started Definity, I sat down with my grandmother mm-hmm. and she was like, tell me about this company you guys are starting. Right. And so I was like, hey, grandma, this is what we're doing. And I drew this little chart about this idea of the rollover and the annuity. And like, then people could have their own money. She said, stop right there. And I'm like, okay. And she runs up to the attic, right? Shuffling around some papers. And then she runs back down. And she hands me the check that she wrote to the hospital for my father's birth. Wow. And she's like, what you don't understand is healthcare was consumer financed. And she was like, we actually screwed it up by a tax accident in the 50s. Where we said, you know what, if an employer buys healthcare, it's pre-tax. But if the mm. consumer buys it, it's after tax. And in that root is the root of the problem. Hmm. Like we made a tax accident. That's that, and it, it ties to the capitalist model of this democracy, right? Which is, let's have businesses really run more of what is really happening in our societal fabric. Yeah. I'm completely against that. Hmm. And one of the things that we tried to solve was this idea of the account to give the consumer. Because, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I've had 12 employers over my employed lifetime. Mm-hmm. An employer is a bad vessel for funding healthcare. And I can guarantee you, when I'm in my 60s and 70s, I'm sure United Healthcare, who was great to me, isn't going to care what's happening to me health wise at that point, mm-hmm. right? And so the only, you have to have this entity that is going to stick with you. And that entity is yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you have to start thinking about financing it that way. Yeah. Well, thank you for humanizing it. That makes a lot of sense. Dave, let's go back to you walking into that room with the four chairs. At that point, had you had any experience in the world, uh, in the business of health? Yeah. So out of college, uh, I ended up joining Aetna, which was a competitor to, and still is a competitor to United. And uh, they had this awesome program where they would take 25 students from across the country and tell them that they're great, you're going to be future leaders and treat you really well and uh, much better than I expected or deserved Uh as a 23-year-old kid. But um, I ended up meeting an incredible group of people as part of that. And um, I thought I'd be there forever. Hmm. And I ended up having our first child in uh, a different town. I was living in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, or for those that know, Louisville. (laughs) And um, she came out with complications. Her left leg was pinned back by her ear. Mm. 
quickly diagnosed with a condition called hip dysplasia, which apparently is f- uh, very common for firstborn females, but I'm a first-time dad. Right. You're freaking out. So not only did she have these um, complications, but um, there was also a contract dispute between 1,400 of the 1,800 doctors in the town that I lived in. Mm. And so when it came time for me to use my health plan, it wasn't there because I needed specialist care and there were no specialists left in my network. Wow. So when I needed my health plan the most, it wasn't there. And I, I was like, this is what I sell. Like, I don't believe in this anymore. Mm-hmm. So hence the magical time to meet uh, Tony and the boys up mm-hmm. in Minneapolis and, and do the Definity thing. And that thing was just, it was amazing. I mean, it was an incredible group of people. We were not the crowd that I think investors should have bet on. I mean, <laughs> when you think about all of us, we had not done anything. We really hadn't. But by, if you look at the scoreboard versus others yeah. in that space, it was yeah. it was an absolute home run. How did Definity gain market traction? We got so lucky. Go ahead. So, <laughs> so the guy that really had introduced me to Dave was Kyle Rolfing. Mm-hmm. And Kyle, Kyle... We ran into Kyle, Craig, Marcus, and I, when we were starting healthy care. Bart Holling, who's a good buddy of mine out of St. Olaf, his, he's married to Kyle's sister. And he's like, hey, you got to meet this Kyle guy. He runs benefits at Hewitt. And Hewitt, at that time, was one of the lead consulting firms for large employers to think about what they do for buying benefits. And so I went and had played golf with Kyle. And if you want to meet Kyle, play golf. Um, <laughs> so, and I remember that like about like the 12th hole, we had been kind of going back and forth about the idea. And I turned to him and I said, look, we don't know what you know about how employers buy healthcare. Like, we just don't know that. You got to join us. Hmm. And he did, thankfully. And he changed the trajectory of the company. He knew like, this is how you're going to get this done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, first person he called is Dave. And then what's so interesting about the sales team that actually helped like ignite Definity were all of these guys out of the Aetna Group School. Like we literally, like we harvested, I think almost 10 people out of Aetna Group School yeah. that were all tied together. The Schultes, the, like I have to go back and get, get all the names, but you put Tom Scurfield, like yeah. there's, Scurfield is hilarious. But, yep. And they, they changed it. But I always tell entrepreneurs one thing about like at the start of Definity that I think is really important. The first article ever written about Definity, and I have it, you know, framed in my house. Yeah. Definity health is illegal. And I always tell people like you are onto something when you act, when the industry, and it was, it was in the business insurance magazine. That so was the headline? That was the headline. <laughs> like Definity health is illegal. Big font. It's wow. huge, Allie. It doesn't seem like it would help you much. It doesn't help sales. <laughs> it really doesn't. <laughs> so, yeah. So this is the, this is the, like, this is why entrepreneurism is point counterpoint right because uh-huh. the thing is like they were like tony this is a problem and i'm, I'm, and I'm looking at it's like this is exciting we're yeah. doing something because the, here's the thing that you have to understand legally and this is something that i think you know people who study law know the law is just evolutionary it is not black and white it is actually quite gray and it's in that grayness that if you're an entrepreneur and you can find some angle to the grayness that you think you could change what's happening in the market gives you an opportunity to do something. So I remember when the article came out, I was like, oh, I'm going to have a fun board call. Um, <laughs> and I remember starting the meeting saying, hey, I know you guys have all seen the, uh, the article. Let me, st- let, me, let me tell you about it. 
And Al Waxman, who was one of the lead investors, raised his hand and said, Tony, you don't need to say anything. We all did our homework on this topic. They're misinformed. Hmm. And I was like, thank God. Like, I got people who really understood. Like, we're living in grayness. And the th- what people didn't know is we'd been talking to Harry Becker, who was the head of the IRS at the time, Treasury. And he told us he was going to give us a private letter ruling around this idea of the account. And that's what this article was saying is the legal is this account structure idea. And we knew that we weren't violating some section 105H of the tax law. No one pays attention to it. But it was like, no, we can actually do this. We just know the three things you can't do that would then violate the law. And hmm. we, as long as we didn't violate those three things, we were like, we knew what we were doing. And so eventually we got business insurance to retract the article. Like, but they, they, they I never forget because I have that published too. It's this little blip. Oh, that thing we said about Divinity Health, it's not illegal. It's gray. Oh. <laughs> What was the the big breakthrough? Is there a moment that stands out to you? Was there, you know, was it getting a certain piece of business? Or oh yeah, it's funny you bring. So in my there was a bunch of quote lucky encounters. I think our first account with Medtronic was a lucky encounter mm-hmm. because they were looking for something that was going to help advance their business of pacemakers and stents, mm-hmm. and somehow we attached an account. <laughs> That would roll over to that, but that, that, that it felt strategic for them versus what they were doing with their other health plans at the time. But then we ended up getting a, um, a full replace opportunity, which meant that you weren't going to offer Blue Cross, you weren't going to offer Kaiser, you weren't going to offer United, you were just going to offer this startup mm-hmm. called Definity Health. Were you a little nervous? To Textron. Was there part of you? Oh, so I got to tell you the Medtronic story because it was so fun. So the two guys that were at Medtronic at the time, David Ness and Roger Chizik, and David Ness was running benefits and Roger was the head of, uh, David was running Comp and Ben, and Roger was running just Ben. And um, they had a meeting where they brought us in and they brought Medica in. And they said, hey, we really like this idea that these guys have about this account. We think it's the right concept. And they turned to Medica in the meeting and they were like, will you support this? And Medica says, no, we, we, don't, we don't believe in this product. We don't think this is right. And literally they excused them from the meeting. They said, well, if you're not going to support it, then we'll excuse you from the meeting. And then from there, Roger and Dave turned to us and said, how do we actually get this built? And I remember, because I remember when we, we gave David Ness uh, this award, like many years later from us, the, the founders, and I talked about it as every entrepreneur needs the intrapreneur. Mm. That's somebody that's in a big corporation who's also trying to change the way it works. But they have to do it inside the company, right, to do it. They don't get to go out and, like, build a company. But if you don't get those intrapreneurs to buy what you're doing, you're not going to get off the ground. Right. And I don't think those intrapreneurs get enough credit hmm. in the ecosystem about the, the chances they take. I mean, they literally, I mean, we were 30 years old. Right. We, and I remember the first time I, I drew up, like, this is how we're going to do it. And I worked with this guy at um, Linquist and Venom and a guy named Mark Kinney, who to this day is like the best ERISA benefits attorney in the world. And I showed him this picture of like how we were going to do it. And the, and the guy turns to me and goes, that's a squashed bug. Like that is never going to work. And I'm like, it's going to work. Like, let's just try it. And so then we do this piece. We literally assembled an insurance company with pieces and parts. And it was, it was that concept that I think people, and that really came out of my experience working for Janine at Rocks. Hmm. Like I learned all the little pieces it takes to build a health plan. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, we can buy this piece here. We can get rent this piece from that. We can do. And so we just assembled it. 
Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. I have and one more story on, on, on uh, I think one of the, and this will actually catapult us into the next mm-hmm. chapter, but we ended up getting this opportunity with Sarah Lee. And Sarah Lee w- knew that they were going to actually look at something that we called consumer-driven healthcare, which was the branding or the category that Definity Health was starting, which included these accounts that are now known as the health savings account. Mm-hmm. And we were going to be up, be up against all the big guns, Aetna, Cigna, United, Blue Cross. And we ended up going through and had a lot of time to prepare for this. We had the right people. We had the right analytics. We had the right communication. We had the right, the right, the right. Mm-hmm. And we did this presentation and we were done and we left. And you know how the Beatles had Sergeant Pepper, sure. you know, as their kind of apex? We had Sarah Lee. It was as good as you could potentially ever have as a sales pitch. And we left and he had some other meetings that he can probably tell you later about. But they, we, they ended up calling and saying, you get this business. And then what, two weeks later, Bill McGuire called? Yeah. <laughs> so there's one thing about the Sarah Lee thing that I just want to back up and talk about. So... Because to me, it was like, uh, just it's, it's, to me, it's like every major corporation should listen to this story. Because they had awarded us the business, and then United had gone back and said, no, no, no. Like, and United was the incumbent, and it was like, no, 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 you're going to stay with us. Like, give us a second chance. And it was enough pressure from United that they did have a follow-up meeting. And in that follow-up meeting, they gave very specific instructions. They were like, you can bring two people to this meeting. Two. <laughs> okay. And... And we were to go first. So Definity was first slot and then United was second. And it was the same day, same meeting, same meeting place. So we're like first and it's at 9 a.m. And Tom Valdivia and I are chosen as the two people that are going to go do the finalist meeting. Tom was the chief medical officer and one of the people that has been an awesome part of this story. But so we get, I get to the airport. We're fl- I'm like, Tom, do you think we had enough time to just fly in the morning up? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, there's, so we're on the 6 a.m. flight. 6 a.m. flight door closes and Tom's not on the plane. And I'm like, wait a second. Uh-oh. Like, this is not good. <laughs> so I land. And at the time, like, so I land. There's no Wi-Fi in planes at that time, right? So I land at the airport O'Hare and I'm like, hey, what the hell? And he's like, oh, I missed the flight. And I'm like, well, you better get on the next one. And he's like, I can't get on the next one. And the only one I can get on is the 9 o'clock one. And I'm like, that's when the meeting starts. And so I, I end up walking into the Sara Lee meeting and United's already there. Hmm. And United at that time was the guy, they had a plan that was competitor to Definity called iPlan and it was run by a guy named Tom Policelli. And Tom and I knew each other because we see each other on the road, you know, we're competitors. And um, I look at him and Tom has an entourage in the thing. And I'm like, did you get the memo about two? Yeah. <laughs> or was that just for you? Yeah. And I, he's, he just looks at me and goes, yeah, yeah, we did. But, you know, we, we wanted to show up with, you know, the full weight of United Healthcare for this meeting. Oh. And I was like, oh, that's not going to go well for you. But nah, thanks for giving me a little up. Right. Like, I'm like, so I go into the meeting and I have to run the meeting by myself. And it was like, you get an hour. And it was, you know, peppered questions here and there. And there. I remember walking out. And at the same time, the Sarah Lee person's walking out with me. And she turns and says, are all these people from United? And he, Tom's like, yes, we're ready to go. And she goes, please pick two. And then she walked and turned around. And I was like, I turned to Tom and said, like, good luck. Uh, <laughs> and well, then, he helped you out right there. Yeah, totally. It, yeah. That's what I mean by every American corporation overplays, like, what they think huh. is going to win. Yep. Interesting. And, and we followed directions. And, yeah. we, like, and we kind of followed directions. We went with one. But anyway, and what was interesting is 
that really annoyed United. And then to Dave's point, like two weeks later, I get a call. Okay. You come come to lunch with Bill McGuire and Steve Hemsley. We need to talk to you, right? And I was like, okay, this will be interesting. So, what did you think was going to happen? Um, you know, so what you, the the early chapter of that story was Steve, who I have an immense admiration for as a human and as a business leader. We had tried to pitch him Definity, and he, to his credit, had put it in front of all the United Healthcare executives, and this was like 1999. And for some reason, they just, uh, none of the executives believed that consumerism was going to happen, blah, 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 blah. But Steve always, like, believed what we were doing. And he had stayed close to us, even though he had offered us jobs. He said, come over and just take a job. And all of us were like, no, we want to be entrepreneurs. We don't want a job. And so he stayed close, in, you know, as we progressed. And so when Steve called, like, I wasn't, like, out of the blue. Like, I had, I had been like, yeah, we're, we've made progress. Got it. So was this the call we want to acquire you? Yeah. So we sit down at, and by the way, I'll never forget, it was like the best tuna sandwich I've ever had in my life. Um, Very uh, memorable. Yeah, it was. It was like better, better lunch than I'd had in decades. So they sit down and just said, hey, congrats on the Sarah Lee business. And then Bill turns and said, and we've had enough of that. And, and I was like, okay, this is going to be interesting. And... They were like, how are you doing this? How are you beating us? And yeah. I was just like, well, this is how we're beating you guys. And Bill was like, well, we, th- we think you should just join forces with us and like, we, we should just buy the company. And I was like, well, look, we're venture backed. And my job as CEO is to reward shareholders. Like that's, that's my first job. And I said, so you know how venture capital works, Steve. Make an offer and we'll, I'll take it to the board and let them you know, debate whether it's an offer that they want to take or not. And so they did. They, they wrote an offer. Um, we created an asking price and they, they met the ask and then we did something really stupid. But that was anyway. Well, we want to know the stupid thing. That's how we learn. Yeah. So the stupid thing was, so we as a board came up with a price mm-hmm. and it was 300 million. Mm-hmm. And so I went and talked to Steve. And I said, you know, 300 million is the clearing price. He's like, 300 million it is. And I was like, okay, great. So we start the process and you end up, remember, it's an LOI first, an indication of interest, and we sign the agreement. And then they kick off what is a very intensive due diligence period, but very rapid. Like this happened in October and this transaction closes the night before Thanksgiving. So it's moving fast. Wow. I'll never forget the night before Thanksgiving because we'd been up for 48 hours straight to get the deal done. But the reality was after we finished the IOI, we get near the end of the definitive agreement and the... The stupid, I'm not going to name names, a bunch of the venture capitalists on our board are like, let's go back and ask for more. And I'm like, wait a minute. We already told them it was 300. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, let's just try 305. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, this is dumb. Like, so they're like, nope. Board says, Tony, they got to go back for 305. And so I go to Steve's office and I'm like, the price is going to change. And he's like, what? And I'm like, well, they think there's more value and we didn't do a shopping. We let you guys have it without any shopping and blah, blah, blah. So the 305. And to this day, Steve would probably still, he doesn't lose track of facts, by the way, um, is like, you, you shook me down for another $5 million when you shouldn't have, right? And mm. he was right. Like, that was just dumb. Mm-hmm. And, but eventually they paid 305, whatever. They so, did. That's interesting because in all of the press, I see it reported as 300. So yeah. they missed that. 
that extra five. Yeah, it's, I don't even want to talk about it. Yeah, that, <laughs> it was 305 and it was like the stupidest thing anyway. Um, wow. Because it created umbrage that yeah. was unnecessary. Like, yeah. you know, and no one really, it didn't change anyone's return profile that because when you're splitting it across, you know, mm-hmm. lots of people. Mm-hmm. And so it was anyway. Well, let me ask you, did that feel, I mean, that had to feel like a victory did it what happened to definitive i mean you know with your mission and goals once this product got acquired then what so right now if you ask americans what what kind of id card do they have in their pocket mm-hmm. a third of them would say they have one of these plans so the power of united actually made this thing grow substantially and then obviously all their competitors followed mm-hmm so I think that's probably the scoreboard fact that an HSA plan is probably the de facto plan in America. And it, was, it wouldn't have happened if Definity Health didn't exist. It's a pretty, pretty amazing legacy. Yeah. You clearly didn't feel done at that point. <laughs> I mean, did, did you all, did you take a vacation after that sale or was it just immediately on to the next thing? Well, you had to do integration. And so uh, let me tell you this quick story. Like this is this this to me was the what really creates bind eventually. But two weeks after the acquisition, so by the way, like literally we close like at nine p.m. Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. And Randy Schmidt and I had been up for forty-eight hours straight. He was the CFO of the company at the time because it was just and, and anyway they they descend on you with an army and it's they they will outman you when they do a deal and it's just you gotta you gotta slug through it but. Two weeks after it happens, Steve goes, I need you to do something for me. And I'm like, okay, what is it, Steve? He goes, you got to go run this panel that I'm supposed to be on, but I want you to do it because it's going to be about consumerism. And I'm like, sure, Steve, I'll do it for you. He didn't tell me. So it's in D.C. So I fly to D.C. and then I see the brochure, like, here's what you're going to speak on. And it's a panel of three people. It is Len Schaefer, who was the previous head of CMS, what was at that time HHS, who is now running WellPoint, which is one of the large Blue Cross Blue Shield public plans. Mm-hmm. And it was Jack Rowe, who is the CEO of Aetna. And then it was supposed to be Steve Hemsley, the chief operating officer of United Health Group. And then inserted is this guy named Tony Miller that nobody <laughs> knows of. And I, I remember I opened up. So we get this big panel. It's a giant room. There's thousands of people sitting in this audience wanting to hear from the three largest health insurers about what they're going to do differently about consumerism. And... I start, so Len goes first, and then Jack goes, and then I start, and I'm like, well, you guys all remember Sesame Street, right? Which one of these things is not like the other? (laughs) (laughs) And the whole audience laughed. Yeah. And what was really interesting is halfway through the panel, Len Schaefer reaches over, and he's miked. He grabs him by the collar, and he goes, we're going to lunch afterwards, right? And I'm like, sure, Len, we'll go to lunch. So Len and I go to lunch, and... Len, like, he's, he's like, why didn't you put the company up for sale? Like, we didn't even get a chance to bid on it. And I'm huh. like, yeah, 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 yeah. And so he, he says to me, like, how's it going? And I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's tough. And he's like, well, I grew up in political environments. Let me give you some advice. You are now in a political environment. Hmm. Large companies are political. Yep. And I was like, okay. And he's like, here's what you need to do. You need to come up with three fights. And if you can win two out of those three fights, then you should stay. But if you lose two out of the three fights, you got to leave. Hmm. And I'm like, do I have to make the fights? And he goes, you got to make the fights. And I'm like, okay. So being the overzealous person I am, on the flight home, I wrote down a list of 10 fights. Like, give, give me an example. What kind of fights? We are going to run the network. Mm-hmm. 
we should run pricing of mm. the actuarial model. We being the original, Divinity. the Definity group. Yeah, the, the, and, and was the deal, were all of you going with Definity? I mean, did you did you all become employees yes. of United Health for a that while? That was part of the deal. Like, okay. and, and, the, and that was one of the things that actually was really, oh, it was awful. I still, at the very last, one of the last 24-hour crisis moments was they were forced to sign, all of the founders had to go sign employment agreements. And they, we had said we will not sign employment agreements. And I, I, I said, no, I'm not going to do it. And they said, this deal's dead unless you guys sign employment agreements. And that was just frustrating. Mm. So, and I wish we had shut them down for $5 million because then I would have said, we're not signing employment <laughs> agreements. But anyway. We're giving you more leverage. Yeah. Um, so you came up with your fights. So came up with the fights. And fast forward nine months later, I lost all 10. Huh. Literally, I, and I had kept track of this piece of paper. It was a yellow, because my dad always gave me yellow legal pads. Uh, the yellow legal pad of paper that had the 10 fights, and I had crossed them off like, as I lost. And so I walked into Steve's office, and I was like, here's my resignation. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, Steve, like, I haven't accomplished anything. And he's like, no, no, you're doing great. Everyone loves what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So I pulled a list of 10 things out, handed it to him. And I'm like, I've lost all 10 fights that I think matter to what's going to happen to this company. And so he was like, no, 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 no. And then this is how a lemma gets formed, actually, because Steve says, you can't resign. And I'm like, Steve, I'm resigning. And he goes, you're, you're having breakfast with me on Saturday. And so I have breakfast with him that Saturday at, at the Pancake House. And um, I mean, this, this is why he's brilliant. We have this, he's really frustrated. He's like, I don't want to accept that you're resigning from this job. Like you've done, and I appreciate to this day that Steve sees that value in the creativity and innovation of not just me, but the team. Mm -hmm. And so eventually I keep telling him like, no, this is, you're taking it personal. This is not personal. I love working for you, Steve. It's not like I do, but I don't love the work I'm doing because I'm losing. Mm -hmm. And so eventually he gets up and walks away from the table I'm like, oh my gosh, I guess breakfast is over. And then he comes back and he sits down and goes, okay, I get it. You don't want to work with us, but we want to work with you. You've got 48 hours to figure out how that happens. Hmm. And so I was like, okay, that's not what I was expecting. And so in 48 hours, I had to put on his desk, which was Monday, a business plan for what becomes Lemi Ventures, Uh which is let's build this fund together. That is a strategic intent fund where, because I, I remember thinking to myself, like, what was the one job of everybody through the Definity journey? Who was I most jealous of in terms of their job? And it was a guy named Dan Janney, who was a venture partner at uh, Alta Partners. And I was like, Dan never did anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's the job. I was like, that's the Those job. Those guys have it made, the money like, guys. Yeah, and like, <laughs> I saw how much money they made. I was like, that's the job I want. Like, how do I get that job? <laughs> And so that's really how we, we launched Lemmy Ventures. When we get back, Tony becomes a healthcare VC, but the itch to solve problems lures him back to startups. Today's episode is made possible with support from Bremer Bank. When you're looking for business advice, everyone's got an opinion, an angle, a surefire five-step plan. But if you want to know whether any of it actually makes sense for your business, who do you turn to? Work with a banker who understands your business goals and how a strong banking relationship will help you achieve them. Work with Bremer Bank, because understanding is everything. Put Bremer to work for you today at bremer.com. Tony and Dave spent some time on different projects before getting the band back together for Bind. Here's how it went. 
We got some early accounts. But when it morphed to wellness, Allie, I was like, I'm not really sure that's my jam. Hmm. I like to eat pizza. <laughs> I sit on the couch. I uh, really enjoy working out. I really enjoy eating healthy. I just, I never kind of felt like that business was, was, was mine. Hmm. And this is going to be an important point for the next part of the story. I'm listening. Um, so I started my own sales consultants, consultancy, second story sales, super fun. Um, and uh, did that and thought I'd just join on to the next startup. And I would tell you, I really had a great time seeing basically every startup in the health insurance, employee benefits, and healthcare space. And it, they just kind of kept passing. I just didn't really, I wasn't that interested in the idea or the topic. And I, I found that in entrepreneurship, not only do you have to be excited about the product, but mm -hmm. you also have to be excited about the team. And I had been so lucky to be a part of great teams in both those organizations and great products. Mm -hmm. So uh, I ended up um, having just this amazing sales consultancy and thought and honestly think that I was going to do that forever. Mm -hmm. And uh, 2014 happened. What happened? Um, so uh, my wife found a spot in her hair and uh, said, we're going to the Mayo Clinic and we went down. She had three surgeries. It was diagnosed and was melanoma, mm. um, the aggressive form of skin cancer. And uh, she uh, was an amazing talent and continued to kind of flourish. But the interesting and relevant point for this was uh, I got uh, a bill six months later for those three surgeries saying that it wasn't covered by my insurance plan. Not at all. Not at all. Remember what the bill was? It's darn near six figures. Yeah. And um, I realized at that time that health insurance is so important to the vitality of Americans. Thankfully, I had means, so I gladly wrote the check with anger, mm. but gladly. Yeah. And um, I uh, also knew that this is the, one of the number one reasons why people have bankruptcy. It's because their insurance sucks. Mm -hmm. And so I got a call later. From this guy over here sitting to my left about, we want to start something. And I'll let him take it from there because he had been thinking about this for a long time. And we were playing golf one day and I was like, what are you going to do next? And you, I don't know if you remember this, but he's like, I want to run something again. And I'm like, well, you're really good at it. You, why don't you try it? So, yeah. So Ann is, um, Ann Dickey was an amazing light and uh, I'll never forget the time we played golf and and can outdrive most men. So, yeah. She's quite she was good. quite a golfer. Yeah. So, yeah. I hit a really good drive and she stood up right after that and hit, hit one past me. And I was like, <laughs> and Dickie. <laughs> anyway, so. And we should, we should mention that unfortunately she, she lost her battle with cancer. Yeah. So, she bravely battled it for three years. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, there's, there is more to that story as it relates. But, in my mind, as you can kind of tell, I seemingly have these stories that like, finally kick me in the rear to say, you actually got to get in the mix and mm. try, and, try and help start and change what mm -hmm. we're doing here in America around healthcare. Right. So Dave's story about Anne is, um, it's, it's, it is the unifying common story, mm -hmm. like, uh, unfortunately, right? Human realities, we're a cellular biological being and we're, that cellular degradation is a real thing. 
and it's all going to come to us and and that's just that's part of the reality of what we call life and what's so interesting about it is so we'd been noodling for some time at Lemi about like we got to change insurance again and the ACA had passed and the Accountable Care Act and um there was this flurry of venture activity around starting new insurance companies like just a crazy flurry billions Mm -hmm. of dollars quickly and we met with almost all of those companies um lemi and we would start with one simple question to every one of those companies what is your insurance innovation Hmm. and that question almost never was answered from these entrepreneurial teams they would say crazy things like we're going to do we're going to have a better consumer tech stack we're going to have low, you know narrow network we're going to have um you know modern administration and i was like none of those things are insurance innovation insurance is actuarially designed mm-hmm. like tell me what you're doing differently about that how risk gets financed right their product was yeah. fundamentally the same so fundamentally the same it literally was that it's so you can't beat United Aetna Blues by doing the same thing. You're not going to beat them. The reason Definity existed is we did something different. They mm-hmm. didn't do accounts. So what's so interesting is the venture community spent billions of dollars on the same goddamn thing. Like I was just like, what are you doing? This mm-hmm. is dumb. So um, look, there's one in this market that did the exact same thing, and it's just like right. what? And, and anyway, so we. I, so Jody, so we'd been going around trying to figure this out, talking to all these companies. And finally we met with the last one and she turns to me at the end of the meeting because we say no to the investment. She's like, I am tired of us talking about this insurance innovation. She's like, we've scoured the market. We have one choice, either stop pursuing this or two, you got to go do it again. Mm. And I turned to her and I was like, are you challenging me right now? And she goes, you bet I am. Wow. And I was like, okay, fine. So for those that know Jody Hubler, know that that's a regular comment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing that's so great about Jody is that that is the yin and yang of what Jody and I were, our partnership. But so I was like, okay, fine. T- take me off of three of the boards. Take me off all the other assignments in the fund. And we had designed this in the fund structure that we could take capital and incubate concepts. So that was part of the LP agreement. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, give me a million dollars. I will take the next six months and I will come up with the next insurance innovation. Hmm. And I remember the first thing I wrote down is anti-deductible. What did that mean? So one of the things that I was always frustrated with is people, when they talk to us, they would say, Tony Miller, Dave Dickey, Kyle Rolfing, whatever, the founders of Definity invented high deductible health plans. And I would be like, high deductible health plans go all the way back to the, you know, merchant marine days like no that's how that's like no we did not invent high deductibles we invented accounts mm-hmm. and it was so frustrating to me that that's what i was labeled with like you invented high deductibles and i'm like no which doesn't sound like a good thing necessarily. no it's a terrible yeah. thing it's <laughs> bad branding <laughs> yeah. yeah so hdhps but anyway high deductible health plans and so i was like anti-deductible like we are doing something with no deductible and and started thinking about like here's what's wrong with deductibles when it comes to healthcare, it works great for property and casualty. It's terrible for health insurance because you mix loss events together. What you have to understand is claims are loss events. And when you mix loss events, you're, mix, you're mixing brain cancer with knee surgery. Like should, they shouldn't be mixed together. Like mm-hmm. they're very different things. They have different clinical rule sets. They have different reasons why they should do it. And so I started with this. So it started with anti-deductible and I started thinking about it. And the next thing I wrote should be condition specific. 
I was like, that's actually what we're trying to underwrite, which is hmm. I have this condition. I'm trying to figure out how to solve it. Like, can I actually make this work? And so those are the two pieces of words I wrote down on a piece of paper. And then I called Sean Wagner and he'd worked with me at Carroll. And I was like, Sean, what you're doing is a waste of time. <laughs> stop, stop this business that you're running. It's not going to go anywhere. I've got this amazing opportunity that I want you to like get on the ground floor with me on and like help me build like this insurance company. Okay, but wait, just quick aside. Wasn't Carol acquired? Yeah, Carol was oh. acquired by United. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I've sold three companies to United. Do not yeah. hold me guilty for that. But anyway, um, yes. So so we started with this concept of conditions and we tried to, so we spent time talking to Aflac. So let me just tell you this funny story about Aflac. I don't know if you know how Aflac markets its products, but it's actually not- With a duck? <laughs> with a, yes, a very no, noisy yeah. duck. With a duck. But when you read the thing, they, they talk about it as critical, critical illness benefits, or they'll even call it like cancer benefit, right? Mm-hmm. And then what happens to consumers when they actually, one of the, they buy one of these policies and then they need to activate it, is they find out it's not what it's marketed as. It doesn't, all it does is give you $10,000. It doesn't cover your cancer. Mm. And that's really frustrating for consumers because what they want covered is my cancer. Right. They don't want $10,000. Like yeah, they want the therapy, right? Sure. So I, we were like, we got to make this really built around, like, can you cover the therapies that are required by conditions? Mm-hmm. And so, and that was like a completely novel concept actuarially, completely novel concept, you know, across the entire adjudication administration. Like it's, it blows up health insurance. Yeah. And so I remember when people were like, Tony, you are crazy. This is never going to work. And I was like, no, here's why it's going to work. Because it ties to the fundamental reality of consumers. And if you can tie to the fundamental reality of consumers, they will buy it. And the fundamental reality is we all suffer from conditions. And we're going in and out of health and illness states all the time based on conditions. Mm -hmm. And if we actually had insurance that looked like that, we could understand insurance finally. Because that's what we're dealing with. Hmm. And I remember, so we built the first actuarial model with, with that first million dollars. And um, we worked with a guy named Dave Tuamala, who had been one of the people that, one of the actuaries at Definity. And he was, he, to Dave's point, a lot of people had great careers inside United Post Definity. Dave is one of them. And he was now running the consulting division for Optum uh, Actuarial Services. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Dave, I need, you to, I need your brain on this. For like, you got to help me do this. And he helped the first Really him, Sean, and I really like, this is how this first product is going to work. And we eventually had to dumb it down into this concept that we eventually called add-ins, which were additional insurance coverage. And the reason it's called BIND, now called Surest, the reason we called it BIND is what people don't realize is it's definitely a a word that, uh, I forgot the name of the type of word it is, but it has both positive and negative meanings, Mm -hmm. right? Contronym. Yeah, contronym. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And... I was like, that's healthcare. Healthcare is a contronym. Like, we really don't realize it's positive and negative meanings, right? Right. And so I was like, I, and then bind is actually a technical term for insurance, which is when you actually bind insurance is when the coverage policy actually is affected. So now we're really geeking out on insurance. But um, <laughs> so to me, it was just like, okay. And then we backronymed it. Backronym? Which is, you created an acronym after the fact. Wow. <laughs> hold, 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 please. This was my doing. Yes, it was. Because insurance needs differ. Uh-huh. There you go. There you go. There's the backronym. I love it. Yeah, it's pretty good. That's why, see, that's why Dave's in sales. Yeah. He's really good at this stuff. <laughs> so, you know, we, the actuarial, here's the thing. The actuarial route of bind is superior 
to the current traditional insurance products, period, end of story, full stop. But people don't believe it. So we were like, we're just going to go do it. And I, d- I built the second squash bug, which was, okay, here's how we assemble this thing together. Um, and, you know, we, we went and we did uh, what's so awesome about being an entrepreneur is you get to work with other entrepreneurs. And we literally just put the band back together. Yeah, that's basically what we okay, did. Okay, that's what I was going to say. So you're, so Dave, how did you yeah. get in on this? So uh, as they were doing all that stuff with the math and the, I was in, I was, I've always been Mr. Outside. Uh-huh. So I started to knock on some friendly doors, those Medtronic people who are dynamite, and I hope they're listening. Um, both Denise and Amy at, at Medtronic. Uh, and we started to have conversations about You went about back the, to Medtronic. Went back to you Medtronic. figured that was a, yeah, they, a friendly audience. And I'll tell you, you know, he's right about these entrepreneurs. I mean, they are almost like that seventh founder. They mm-hmm. do an incredible job of taking risks. But it has to be in their swim lane of, it's going to solve my problem. Sure. So all of what you just heard from Tony, sometimes my job is to actually take that brilliance and then translate it to, and here's why that's good for you. Here's the benefit for you. Here's how it's going to fit into your strategic plan. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we started to do um, with outside customers. We had some other former Definity clients that we talked to and actually never got. I mean, mm. so I want entrepreneurs who are listening to this to know that not all your former customers are going to buy from you again. Hmm. It doesn't work that way. Yep. And uh, so we started that process of, of doing that. And then I... I think we should tell the story about fundraising. It. Okay, <laughs> so uh, so at this point, and I want to mention some other names too that we had then picked up to this merry band of of, of dear friends. But uh, so you mentioned Sean Wagner. Sean is an incredible talent. He was kind of the glue for all of us. He is still working very hard at Surest and is an incredible person. But then we picked up Matthew Wyant and Glenn Iden. And so it was kind wait, of. Wait, wait, Let me tell the Glenn Iden story real quick. So Glenn Iden had been the chief technical officer for us at Definity. And he'd also worked with me at Carroll. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like sheepish to call him. And I, I, I said, so I called him up. I said, Glenn, how are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm fine. Well, how are you? And I'm like, well, I have an idea. And he goes, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows that's going to blow up their right. current situation. So, so was, this is, and I love Glenn. And so I was like, no, 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 come on. And he's like, no. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to promise you one thing. If you have the meeting with me, I promise you won't sleep that night. And so he's like, all right, fine. And what do you think you got that's that good? And I was like, so we have lunch at Redstone. And I remember we, it went on for longer than we way had anticipated. I get a call at 5 a.m. the next morning. It's Glenn. He's like, you're right. I can't sleep. <laughs> and this was you telling him the idea, the concept yeah, yeah, behind Bind. Yeah, how we were going to do it. Uh-huh. And to, I mean, he he put the company together. Hmm. Like he he really put that company together. Yeah, completely. Yeah, and and I, I so <laughs> it became time for us to actually try. He obviously had the Lemhi Ventures Fund that was helping to fund the early part, but we knew we needed a lot more money to make this thing work. So, I don't know. It, uh, what do you do? You're supposed to go to Silicon Valley, Allie. Like, right. that's what we're supposed obviously. to do. And yes. there's this road, Sand Hill Road, mm-hmm. where all startup folks go to knock on doors. And I have these pictures of us, like, pulling our luggage up and down. We were literally walking up and down Sand Hill Road. And here's the interesting thing. Okay, in theory, not in theory, in reality, we had had success. Yes. 
We had had success. You have a track record. We have a track record, and we're walking in with a new idea. And you know what? We didn't get anything. Really? We got a bunch of no's. Because they didn't think it was possible? Because it was too disruptive? I think I, in my, he'll give you a, a bit, but in my mind, I think it was, sometimes we have these things in, in innovation that we're the right idea, wrong decade. Hmm. And I, uh, I think probably when you think of, of many of the VCs at that time that were funding old ideas, as he mentioned, and old designs. And this was like 2015 or yeah. earlier? Yes. Okay. No, like 2016? Yeah, 2017 is when we went to Sand Hill Road. Okay. Okay. So you'd already started it. I'm sorry. The company started in 2016. We started with just Lemi Money. Yeah. Lemi put the first $12 million in to that company. Okay. But I, I, I think the thing that was also interesting is we ended up pitching. We did get access to some of the greatest investors ever. Here's one thing that venture capitalists do really wrong. And for all you entrepreneurs out there, first of all, I'll never forget the first time I, I said, it says venture capital over the door. Like, do you not want to take risk? The reality is they don't want to take risk. Hmm. It is financially engineered risk is what they want to take. Mm-hmm. So what they do wrong is that they make a bet somewhere. They, they, or I call it a bet. They call it an investment. And then they're like, oh, I can't you know, make it more investment. And I'm like, no, no, no. If you believe in a space, what you should do is Bet all black. That wins. and <laughs> Go black. Mm-hmm. Like Get as many of the things out there as possible. And then once in a while, add red. So <laughs> it's just like, I was like, he was, Lumeris is the company he was in. And he's like, I just, I'm conflicted. And I'm like, oh, that's bummer. Yeah. So. so you've got this idea that you fully believe in and you know is the future. And you come away from Sand Hill Road, the preeminent place where they should get it and want to be looking for the next idea. You come away with nothing. Is that defeating or does that just give you more, you know, fire to get this done and show them? One of the most important ingredients to an entrepreneur is the intestinal fortitude of a sewer rat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So if you don't have that, don't be an entrepreneur Hmm. because you're going to face a million no's. And it can be defeating for sure. Absolutely. And you just got to and surround yourself with other believers mm-hmm. like and that that's what makes the change eventually affect into reality is and you just you have to almost intentionally like I'm going to make this idea into reality. I'm going to intentionally make it happen mm-hmm. and you just got to stick to it. But, you know, that that actually helped us. And here's how it helped us, because the feedback was I remember Oak. Uh, and I've always wanted Annie Lamont to be an investor in one of my companies, and she's still not. That's hmm. frustrating. But anyway, and Annie just turned to me and she said, Tony, that's too big. Hmm. Like, that's too big. You got to narrow it. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, we can do the whole thing. And she was like, no. And um, so I remember I, thinking about her advice because, I, I mean, she's a great investor. And I was like, okay, it's too big. How do I make it not – how do I keep it big but – eliminate like what are the things that are risky to build it and on that list became two very important assets besides capital which was i needed the we needed the data to actually create this clinical performance map of conditions Mm -hmm. right like how because the thing is alina fairview u of m they're not all the same They, they actually have varied clinical performance and not just varied clinical performance they have very you know financial performance connected to that clinical Mm -hmm. performance and that variation's embedded into all these actuarial products that are we're all paying for waste that we don't need to be paying for. And so I was like, we got to get the data. 
and where's that data? Sits inside insurance companies. And I was like, okay, we gotta go talk to a giant insurance company who will let us have the data, and then I can actually like produce the clinical performance map. And then the second thing you needed is, and this is the age-old problem of every insurance startup, is how do I get a rate position on the buying of healthcare services equivalent to the BUCA carriers? And if I can't get that rate equivalent, then I do things like what Bright did, which is I narrow the network. I tell them, you know, I'm narrowing the network. Give me a good price. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, we want an open. I, I want, I want this idea of open. The one thing that's amazing about the U.S. healthcare system is it's a thousand points of lights of fee-for-service medicine that are actually performing really, really well. Mm-hmm. And you just need to find them. So we were like, well, the other people who have networks are big insurance companies. So I was like, the only way we're going to get this thing off the ground is we need an insurance company partner. And, and if I don't get that insurance company partner, the idea is too big. Hmm. Let me double click on that because if, if I'm an employer and I want to save money on my health benefits, there's two options that I had before Bind. It was raise my deductible or shrink the network. In other words... What happened to me? I'm not going to include Mayo in my network. You can't go there. Right. And in both those, those suck. Yeah. For you and me. Mm-hmm. And yet that's the, the playbook that- That's about dollars, not people. And that's the playbook of insurance. Yeah. Like that's how we can control cost. And we were like, we're not doing that. So that's why I think many people are like, this is anti-physics. We, there is no possibility here. Mm-hmm. There's no way for you to do that. And I think uh, that's why maybe some of the investors thought it was way too big and and not possible. So did you get the insurance partner? Well, so you know what's so crazy is, um, I don't know if I should tell this part of the story, but (laughs) I'm I'm going to. Oh, just go for it. One of the agreements that we had as part of the fund uh, of Lemi was thou shalt not start another insurance company. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. Yeah, and I was like, I forgot that part. No, here's what I did is I was like, okay, I know why they don't want us to do that because that's what their job is, but they're doing not a great job at that. And so I started having meetings with the people who were related to the fund. They'll rename nameless right now. And I was like, hey, I'm just curious, would you be okay if I do this for a little bit? And I just kind of eked my way towards not telling them it was an insurance company until it was an insurance company. (laughs) And then I got wind of it at the sea level. And they were like, how dare Tony Miller try to start another insurance company? We're going to kill him. Mm -hmm. And I remember they were going to kill it. I had a meeting and they were like, no. And 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 Dave was the CEO at the time, Dave Wickman. And I said, Dave, I know why you guys want to say no. I asked for one thing. Come and just meet with me at our offices. And this, these offices were startup offices. Oh, like, baby. Hey, man, let me tell <laughs> you. You needed a tetanus shot to walk yeah, in there. Yeah, it was bad. And I was like, you got to come spend Saturday with me in, in, in our office and let me walk you through like what it is. Mm-hmm. We were there for six hours. And he walks out and goes, we're going to do this thing. And he goes, we're going to do the capital. We're going to do the network. We're going to do the data. And we're going to let you guys run it. And I was like, Dave, thank you very much. Hmm. And it was, and he resurrected, was gonna, they were going to kill it. And to his credit, he saw like this innovation is something we aren't working on internally. Mm-hmm. And we, this is exactly why the fund was built. The fund was built to do things that we wouldn't do corporately because it doesn't meet the muster of corporate, you know, P&L, you know, sure, guidance. So, sure, which is why a lot of things get built outside yep, and then yep. acquired. So you did build it. 
and it did work. Yeah. How? I mean, is it? I I realize that's incredibly simplistic, but you know, you know it's. Here's why. Remember, I said the, it's fundamentally tied to consumers. Mm-hmm. The way we actually are interfacing humanly to the healthcare system. Yeah. And there's this crazy insight, and it was it was part of our first customer was this company called Dove, and they run uh, skilled nursing facilities in Wisconsin. And we did this video of the Dove employees when they first got to see Bind, like what was their reaction to it? And there was this woman who's got two pairs of glasses on, one on her head and one. And <laughs> I can still, relate. Yeah, yeah. And she's, she's like, well, I think this is an important innovation because we, insurance is a shared resource and we need everyone to be buying better because if we're all buying better, we're helping each other. Hmm. And I was like, she's got it. Like, I'm like, she understands actuarially what's really happening from the pooling concept and understand it's individual behaviors that are going to change what's going to happen. And it's fundamentally tied to something that is a problem in, in the U.S. We have an entitlement mentality to healthcare in the U.S. What do you mean by that? We go, talk to your, talk to anyone. I, like I'll, ta- I'll, I'll talk about my wife for a second, <laughs> Natasha. And she's always like, well, that should be covered. <laughs> like every little thing, like, right. you know, and it's just like, well, I'm like, well, if that's helping you get healthier, shouldn't you just do that yourself? And she's like, well, why don't they cover it? And I'm like, because it's good for you. Why don't you just buy it? Like, and it's just like. We spend money on a lot of other things. Yeah. But we feel. But also we're paying incredibly high rates. And you feel but like, what is, am I paying that for? But we don't have the social contract in this country that says healthcare is a socialized good. We don't have that contract. Right. Like we walk around acting like we do and we don't. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying whether that's right or wrong. I'm just factually we that's not the way we've designed it Mm -hmm. so the problem is the insurance companies actually want to play into that entitlement mentality because it allows us to ever build i mean why do you think they're the largest players in the value chain because they quietly let consumers just like yeah we should cover that we should cover that we should cover that and eventually it's it's too much right it's unaffordable so it it kind it ties to basic like what i call fairness that cons- like when people bought add-ins, one of the aha moments for us was we thought consumers were going to be mad. Like, I have to buy one of these add-ins. Why is it not covered? That's not what happened. What happened, consumers were like, that's fair. I'm using more insurance. I should pay a little more for my insurance. Like they get that fairness trait. Mm-hmm. But what they really liked was I wasn't paying as much as I had to pay because I, d- I wasn't using it. And now that I'm using it, I want to actually pay more. Hmm. Yeah, let me elaborate more on how the actual design ended up coming out. We did some early focus groups and asked consumers, what do you want from your health insurance? And as you might expect, we got a lot. I'm sure. (laughs) Health insurance as an industry rivals big tobacco and bad cable television in terms of of endearment. Yep. And um, the interesting thing that came out that I think took all this brilliance that you're hearing from Tony about what is happening inside and the actuarial values of things and the waste that is happening in healthcare. Mm-hmm. And then we put it into a wrapper and the wrapper answered the fundamental questions that everyone has about health insurance and yet no insurance company can answer. And that is, is this cover, is this thing that I have covered? Yeah. And number two, how much am I going to pay for it? Yeah, that's what it all comes down to, right? It comes down to that. Yeah. And, and, and so this is really important when it comes time to think about us versus some of the other emerging health insurance companies is that we knew that coverage was going to be the pinnacle. That was the product. Mm-hmm. Are you going to cover this stuff? And so in our app, you knew before you could go what was going to be covered and how much you were going to pay. 
And the reason we could do that is we did get rid of deductibles. We did get rid of these things called coinsurance. We got rid of these things called coinsurance limits, which people in America don't know. And instead, we gave it a price. Hmm. Here's what you're going to get. If you're going to have this baby, it's going to cost you 200 bucks. If you're going to have, if you're going to go to this place, it might be 200. But if you go to that place, it might be 600. You decide, and it's all available to you before you go. And overall, does that model end up costing individuals more? No. Here's less? what's crazy about it: is it it defies this physics thing that people were skeptical around. Because the health plan knows who's good, bad, and ugly in terms of provider performance, if you can get people to go to the right spot, we can actually shrink premiums. Some literature says it's between 30 and 50%. Hmm. Could you imagine actually shrinking premiums by that much? Yeah. So what we decided to do was make a design that gave that information to the consumer up front, and then they decide, and here's the beautiful thing. It then shrinks this shared experience that he talked about so that there's less claims inside of the pool, which means your premiums go down. Hmm. And then the, the double whammy is you don't have that big high deductible anymore. Instead, you're just paying a simple price or in the insurance industry, we call it a copay. And that copay is fixed. You know it. And it's packaged, meaning so if you go in for a delivery of your baby, that's what you're going to pay. There's not going to be some random bill coming from an anesthesiologist or a pathologist or something like that that drives you nuts. Yeah. You know what you're going to get. So investors thought this idea was too big. What about companies that were thinking about moving to this model for their employees? They yeah. went for it? So I would say um, sometimes, and, and again, for all your entrepreneurs, this is where it gets really frustrating because you've got to take your amazing idea and you've got to plug it into some benefits strategy or some business strategy that your clients are looking for. And uh, I think early on, you had to find the ones that were going to be interested in a new idea. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, we were friends with quite a few mm -hmm. who had, had been exposed to these things. And there were some forums that brought those people together that we ended up spreading viral, virally through. Mm -hmm. But um, I think the key part for any entrepreneur that's out there is actually making it fit to their business strategy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just take it just a little slightly additional direction. The one thing that I think entrepreneurs you have to always look at is it's great, to get, it's great to work with people you've worked with previously. But what you have to recognize is what Dave Dickey looked like at 30 is not what Dave Dickey looked like at 50. <laughs> it's much better. He's better. better. It's better. It's better. <laughs> Seasoned. But the thing that we do know is like, okay, so who is that analogy of who I was back then that I could go like, get engaged in this thing next? And in this case, it was Charlotte West. And Charlotte West was leading Mercer's benefit practices. So we almost just like repeated the same hmm. DNA structure of like, let's go steal out of a giant benefit house, some really bright, innovative leader who will help us like get the market to buy it. Mm -hmm. And so Dave was like, Tony, we got to go meet with Charlotte West. And I'm like, let's go meet with Charlotte West. So we had lunch with Charlotte and, you know, she was pretty skeptical at the beginning. And then we kept kind of pounding her and just like, hey, come on, this is a great idea. Eventually, and it's so important to get someone with that credibility, market credibility. Like these are buyers who will listen to Charlotte, right? And her to then say, I'm speaking with my feet. Now I'm not speaking with my brain. Like I went and put my family, my earning power 
into this company and that because I think the idea is that good. And that then changes. You do open doors that people are like, oh, well, yeah, I love Charlotte West. And if she's saying this is a good benefit idea, I'll listen to it. And similarly, we had that same with, with Trevor Fast. Yeah, yeah, Holy for sure. smokes. Yeah. So uh, one yeah. of the hard parts that uh, we had to do was take this design and make it very relevant to the actuarial community. And there is no better actuary in America than, than Trevor Fast. He just completely made this thing a real reality. Hmm. So it worked. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, then, so, let, 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 so this is what... the. Like, the if I could go, if I had a time machine, I'd go back in time and I'd go to this date and I'd be like, I'm changing this outcome. So one of the things that we did, and this is what you should do. So uh, we had an actuarial evaluation of how Bind was doing. Mm-hmm. And we had two simultaneous actuarial evaluations. One that Medtronic was doing and was being hired by Mercer to actually say like, is Bind saving us money and is it better? The same actuarial concept was being done by United on United's employees. And United had 17,000 employees who had bought Bind. Okay. Or 17,000 people. So it's like 8,000 employees. And the studies came back almost simultaneously in, in the spring of 21. And it was very clear. Bind is superior. Across every risk cohort, every kind of consumer, it performs better. Whether they're healthy, whether they're sick, whether they're really sick, it's just better. And that was that was the... That was the end of the, the gun, which was, if it's better, we're buying it. Hmm. And I was like, ooh, we shouldn't have done those actuarial studies. <laughs> I was going to say, so that once again, you find yourself in the position of selling to United Healthcare. Well, so it wasn't really selling. So go back to that meeting where Dave doesn't kill the company. Dave is maybe one of the best financial deal guys I've ever had to work with or go up against. And he designed this concept of strips, equity strips. So it's the way to own a company over time. And so we, he knew we were gonna need more capital. So he was constantly providing us more capital and in return was gaining equity strips of the company. He was starting to own Bind. And by the time we got to Series B, he, he had a right that he could at any point in time say, I'm calling for the remaining equity strips. Mm. And that's, so, when you say we sold to them, they basically bought the company and, they, and they, they had been buying the company for many years. And they just, they got to a point where like, we're not gonna let this thing continue to grow and continue to perform and overpay three years from now. We're gonna buy it now. I see. And how did you feel about that? Ask my kids. Um, <laughs> you know, it's so funny. A buying for me was the best of all of the companies I've worked Why? with. It's a combination of the idea is that good. The team was that amazing. The effect it was having was really changing people's lives in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And it was just the culture of that company lived and breathed those three ethoses. And it was just, it, it, it was heartbreaking for me to be told to sit down. Like hmm. it, was, it was not something that I had wanted Still, but you did go, I mean, you went to, to run it within UHC for a while, yes? No. No. To their credit, and it's, this is, took me a while to get here, they knew that would be a disaster. Hmm. Like, Tony's going to go pick 10 fights again. So this time they didn't take anybody from No, no they took were? everybody but Tony. But you! Oh. <laughs> like, like, let's get rid of Tony because he's going to pick 10 fights. And I would have picked 10 fights. There's yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah. So to their credit... Hard for me to, you know, self-actualize that reality, but mm-hmm. it's, it's true. 
bind inside of United Now Surest is better without me in it. But is it better overall for health insurance and for consumers? The history will give you that answer over time. Okay. Dave, (laughs) what do you want to say on that? I'm just going to give you some facts about uh, Surest um, because it is a viable option still in the marketplace um, for anyone that's looking for health insurance coverage. This thing saves about between 10 and 15% in premium. Mm -hmm. Employees save half. Hmm. And actuarial Houdini, I always call it actuarial Houdini, Mm -hmm. which which people don't understand real quick. You increase what's called AV, the actuarial value of the plan, while reducing, while reducing premium. Like you pay less and you get more. And it's like, that's actuarial Houdini. Yeah, yeah it is. It's against physics again. How yeah. many people have surest It's, it's near a half a million people wow. today. Um, it's, uh, so if you look at the numbers, that's around um, in equivalent premium, it's about two and a half billion. It's the fastest growing product at United right now. Hmm. It is the, and actually, Tony doesn't know this, but I'm sure he would agree with it. It's the fastest one ever. I mean, Hmm. it's faster than Definity. It was faster than a lot of the startups that we were competing with in the space. It's an absolute home run. But here's the other dimension that I like. It's not skimping on care. Like people are getting their preventive screenings. They're getting the treatments that they need. They're getting, and I'll give you some, um, uh, more people are getting physicals and mammograms and, and, and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, remember that problem about people liking health insurance? This thing is three times higher than any other health insurance option in terms of a net promoter score. Mm-hmm. And uh, nine out of 10 people would say, I would be very mad at my employer if they dropped this health insurance. Wow. And um, so as a concept, it's still health insurance. Mm-hmm. So I'm not cha- we're not changing the entire category as it relates to perception. Mm-hmm. But inside that category, we're bringing it all up. Tony, are you going to do it again? You know, it's funny. You talked about like, here's what venture capitalists do. Do you know how easy it would have been for me to raise money to do bind two? Mm-hmm. I had almost half a dozen calls mm-hmm. when and I, I quietly left bind. I didn't we didn't. Make a big deal about it. But people eventually found out, like, hey, why are you not, like, you're not in the company anymore? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were like, well, let's start it up again. Let's do it again. I don't like redoing ideas. Uh, that's not, that does not get me excited. Mm-hmm. And so funny, like, all, then money was flowing. Like, let's go do it again. Now like, you want to give me the money. Yeah. So what, here's what, so finally one of the investors who called me called back after I said no. And they said, well, what was the one thing that you wished would have changed with buying that? is preventing buying from really growing. And I said, well, the biggest thing that I'd like to see changed is I need more care delivery organizations trying to build their solutions in conditions. Like if I could build a condition-oriented care delivery company, like I think that would set the world on fire. Meaning? So take a, you know, like, um, like so one of, the, one of the things they backed was Hims. I don't know if you know what Hims is, mm-hmm. but Hims is a men's health yeah, company. Yeah, 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 yeah. You see the commercials. It's a direct-to-consumer care delivery company. And, right. and it goes to men and says, hey, you don't want to talk about these embarrassing things associated with your sexual capability, blah, 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 blah. Or you're losing your hair, like what I'm doing. <laughs> Do you want to keep your hair? Anyway, I was like, no, it's too late. Anyway, um, <laughs> but they're so good at understanding consumers' problems about conditions, right? Mm-hmm. But then if you 
if you go try to get that same service in Fairview today, not to pick on Fairview, but pick any care delivery company, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. They don't orient that way. They orient to here's the schedule of the physician or the you know APP. Here's when we're available. It's completely built around the clinicians. It's not built yes. for consumers. You don't feel at like all. you have a lot of control. Zero. Yep. And so I was like, that's what I really like to go work on. And so they, and so this, they said, funny you should say that. We have your co inventor who wants to do that with you. And so this guy named Dr. Clay Johnston, who was running the Dell Medical Center at the time, when Dell Medical Center is a brand new medical, academic medical center, $150 million from Michael Dell, to actually say, we're going to build condition-specific specialty in primary care together as one thing. And so Clay's been building that. So quietly, we haven't really announced it, but we've been building a company called Harbor Health that is all around if some if the if this insurance product takes off, I need more I need more of the care delivery systems organized to actually deliver via condition. So we've launched that company in Austin, Harbor Health, and we now have we're the in less than a year we've now the fourth largest primary care company in Austin, Texas. Wow! And consumers are going crazy about the fact that we do integrative medicine, we do functional medicine, we do. All this stuff that changed the way consumers are interacting with how should my care really work. Now, what we want to do is get insurance to start paying us differently as providers. So that's, that's the biggest thing we, we're working on right now is how to get insurance to pay us differently for doing that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I'm doing now. So, so you can't stop, basically. You know what? This is... <laughs> Here's the thing. I want to, kind of, sort of. Um, no, he doesn't. But it's I'm so funny. Kidding. Like, I'm just kidding. Well, it was... Tuesday morning, so Monday morning, the 21st of June 2021 is when they announced like, hey, United bought the company, blah, 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 blah. It's a day that, uh, anyway. I remember Tuesday morning, I'm sitting in our house with my wife and I'm like, this is gonna be great. That's what I thought of on Monday. I think this is gonna be great. I could spend some time, you mm-hmm. know. We're having coffee and she's like, well, what are we doing today? And I'm like, I don't know. And and like we sat there for like a couple minutes, and then I'm like, "This is driving me crazy." I was like, <laughs> "Couple uh, minutes, you're ready to come out of retirement." Literally, you ask her. She's like, "The next day, he was like beside himself yeah. about like, what am I going to go do next?" Mm-hmm. I just think that that's part of like you just can't. That's just wiring. Like mm-hmm. you're and, driven to solve a problem, yeah, and the problem has not been fully solved. No, that's the thing. Like the thing I care most about is this thing is still. I always tell people healthcare is not broken. Broken means a system that's designed doesn't achieve its outcome. That's broken. The p- system is designed to perfectly achieve the outcome we're getting today. Hmm. And what people don't realize is we got to change the design. Like, and one of the fundamental things we have to change about the design is employers are not the right vessel for funding our, the financing liability of health insurance over 50 years of your life. Like that's just a dumb, that's, that's fundamentally not right. Yeah. And so um, I'm not going to give up. All right. Well, we're we're lucky that you're not. So next chapter for sure. Dave, what about you? I want to keep doing. Up? Yeah, I, it's funny you say that. I, I've restarted my sales consultancy. I'm helping a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot mm-hmm. of sales. And uh, who knows? Maybe there'll be another one that I jump onto. Might get the band back together again. <laughs> huh? Getting bands back together is like the best thing in the world. It is. Yeah, it's so fun. Well, thank you for getting together today. This has been an incredible conversation. So much, so many insights and uh, a, a lot to think about for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Wow, wow. Well, now you understand why this episode was a little longer than some. You can't cut off Tony Miller and Dave Dickey when they get rolling. Uh, so much to take away and process from this episode. Let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas, Opus College of Business, where Kirk Ryerson leads the Healthcare Innovation Program. He's an executive fellow at Opus. And Kirk, I am so excited with your combination of entrepreneurial expertise and healthcare innovation. What did you think of this conversation? Well, I love the energy and I love this show and I love being a part of it. But I got to tell you, the 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 cool thing about being in this industry and, and having the opportunity to teach in this space, the energy that comes through, that personal connection, the passion, but the historical relevance of what you're hearing. So if if this becomes a, a mini-series, I am going to subscribe and watch because the history of the health savings account, zero deductible health plans, how these individuals and these larger group of innovators challenge these incumbents mm-hmm. to continue to advance this question of we can do better with personal connections like losses or obstacles, right? So this idea of how it comes back to the classroom. So consumerism. We talk about this in other segments I've had a chance to connect with you on. Can't lose sight of that value of that consumer. Who are we doing this for? And why is that so critically important? So what they were doing with the value-based, moving into that value-based care model, that consumer-driven healthcare model was so critically important. But in a way, it was so... it. It was so early for the time in in the insurance industry. So when you think about the incumbents in the state of Minnesota and how we look at insurance, going from that fee-based to something that was more about outcomes and wealth or health and Mm -hmm. wellness, that dramatically changed. So this is the root of it. I mean, we were literally hearing some of the beginnings of that, and it took some young renegades outside the system to or to go outside the system to start to make those changes happen. Absolutely. Uh, some of the key takeaways, like you said, young, renegades, but professional, accomplished as individuals could have done and remained in their jobs for the rest. They could have taken that to retirement. This group wanted more, wanted better. Yeah. And they found a way to link up and take that network. And there's that undertone of humility, recognition, always giving back to people that they mentioned by name. I mean, there's a relationship tone to this, but this group wanted better, did better. This term that was also surfaced as entrepreneur versus entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. How, how great is that? Because nothing happens unless you have someone on the inside. So there was references to Medtronic and Sarah Lee getting these ideas started. But uh, so, some of my takeaways and things that I take back to the classroom is, do you have a great idea? Yeah. Do you think it's going to be received in a way that's going to be embraced? Not necessarily. Hmm. Do you keep evolving that idea? Well, of course. But what is the driving difference in some of these ideas? Is there a motivation that's beyond the financial incentive? Is there something personally that's driving you forward? Is there an ethical business, a social benefit? Do you have the power to make something better? Yes or no? And can you actually execute on that? So, how can you take a bunch of wonderful professional individuals that are not really driven to having to change the, the environment they're in, but know that they can change it and they're committed to that change. That is something that's unique, I think, in this, in this segment. So believing the struggle, the peril, the growth, believing that you could do it. I think that's, yeah, absolutely. 
and while you're being told you can't. Right. And these are big organizations, well-established organizations that see this up and coming, you know, group as a threat. Mm-hmm. But also then how do we learn from that? And there's this underlying um, mentality of you're constantly evolving and building a new opening, a new opportunity. So the fact that this goes back to a tax law to the 50s or references to social security, this is something that we've inherited as consumers, but understanding that connection and exploiting that opportunity in a way that benefits our consumers. Mm-hmm. And they did that. They did that with a, a group. With, with, without, with There weren't enough right. chairs. Right. They had a swear <laughs> jar. I mean, it was, we're going to do this and shift that, uh, that balance. And uh, I, I'm guessing we have not heard the last from Tony Miller. I hope not. Or, or many of his collaborators. I hope not. I hope not. Um, but I think even for those of us who, you know, health insurance is not our jam, there are just so many great messages in this story. So many. As you've referenced, just about your network, teamwork, and just believing that you can do something bigger than yourself and more than just doing it to, to make money, but to truly benefit society. Anyone can do it. Right. Well, thank you, Kirk Ryerson. I appreciate it. We all appreciate it. Thanks for framing it up for us. And uh, for those who are feeling inspired and motivated, of course, there's a whole program at St. Thomas that you could check out. <laughs> we would love to have you join us there. Healthcare innovation. That's right. That's the thing. All right. Thank you so much. Well, thank you to our presenting partner, the University of St. Thomas, Opus College of Business. And thanks to you for listening to By All Means. If you want to know more about the show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. Thanks so much for listening. takes teamwork to make by all means and we've got some all-stars thanks to our audio engineer tom Forlitti. digital support is ricky hannigan and dan nepo thanks to the university of st thomas opus college of business and schultz school of entrepreneurship especially dean laura dunham for all their support our theme music is by song finch thank you for listening to by all means we'll be right back.